0: Hello, and welcome back to Humane Tech. This is Jeffrey Kay, and this is Season 2, Episode 1. Season 1 wasn't really Episode 1 until just recently. I relabeled all of the episodes that came before this one as Season 1, because this is a relaunch. This podcast was so inconsistent, and yet well-listened to, thank you, by the way, that well, there's been so much time that has passed since those first set of episodes that a lot of the information, while still mostly good, isn't what I would say recent or current, I should say. Those episodes are, you know, reasonable to keep around and go back to periodically, which is why I want to keep them. But I really need to distinguish the new stuff, season two, from the old stuff, season one. So here we are, season two. Episode one. So, episode one is stop, drop, and roll. I don't know that this is used a whole lot these days, but it sure was back in the 80s and early 90s. And the idea was if there was a fire or you were on fire, you would stop, drop, and roll out that fire. I'm using this because with cybersecurity incidents, when you've been attacked or you think you've been attacked, A lot of people, they move too fast. They just jump to conclusions and start doing things that may or may not make sense. What I would like us to all think about is to slow down, pause, think, maybe ask and then do. Stop, drop, and roll. Normalize asking questions in our families, in our organizations, our businesses. Allow mistakes to happen without shaming or guilting the person who says, hey, I'm afraid I've done something I shouldn't have. I might have clicked on something. I opened something I shouldn't have. Something bad is going on on my computer. Don't shame or guilt that person. If you haven't ever experienced a cybersecurity incident yourself, if you haven't done one of these things that the other person has done, give it time. Give it time. You probably will. If you don't, wow, congratulations, you're one of the few. Employees and kids do make horrific security blunders. So do CEOs, CIOs, CTOs, all the CESOs, and CDC++, plus whatever. Parents definitely do. Don't shame and guilt. It's not worth it. Organizations and families who can build trust around the response to mistakes are much less likely to fall victim to attacks. I want to say that again. Organizations and families who can build trust are less likely to make mistakes. The reason is because you're more aware of how this whole thing works. You click on something, something bad happens, you respond to it, you learn from it, and you move on. It's not something that should be your life changing to the point where you can't eventually move on. When you respond to an incident, just realize, please, that we are all targets for cybercriminals. Every person with an internet connection with access has something of value to a malicious hacker. What has value? Well, let's go through a few things here. Email. Email is used to reset passwords, verify identity, communicate with customers, vendors, friends, other family members, random people. It has so many connections with all of our stuff that email is incredibly valuable. Anyone who says that their email account isn't valuable, either isn't talking about their primary email account, or probably hasn't realized just how interconnected these accounts are. Phones, phone numbers, all of these apps that we've got access to. If a malicious hacker, if a criminal can gain access to your email, these apps, websites, it's not necessarily about money. It's not necessarily about that account. It's not necessarily about you. Often, if somebody can get access to the account of somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody, they can inch their way through the internet and get access to the thing they really care about. For instance, Cisco is a huge company. They sell products internationally. cybersecurity, networking, computer software. It's highly likely that even if you don't know that you have, you've used or Connected to or some way have touched Cisco technology. They were hacked through an employee's home connection through their personal accounts. It's not direct accounts, uh, or sorry, it's not direct attacks that are most often used to access stuff. It's the stuff that will give access to the, a- the stuff that you need access to. It's Back channel stuff that is usually easier to get to, usually easier to access, usually not looked at as much. There's all sorts of value to all of these things that we use on a daily basis that may not feel like, or they may not give you the sense that they're super important. Like, okay, well, my bank account's important because I need to pay my bills. And if somebody steals my money, Yeah, I might eventually get that money back from the bank or the FDIC, but it's going to be a hassle. That's easy to see. The email account, that's less, right? But if you go to the bank account and you say, I forget my password, where does that link go? Does it go to your phone? Does it go to an app? Does it go to your email? If it's email and your email's compromised, you're stuck. What are the easy and quick things which will keep us safer? All of these accounts usually have something in common. You can, for most of these in 2023, ensure that two-factor authentication, also known as multi-factor authentication, is on and used. You log in with your username and your password. You get that code sent to your email, your phone, your app, and then you log in multi-factor authentication, two-factor authentication, two-step. There's so many names for the same basic idea. You get a code that is harder for somebody to get. Somebody can guess your username, guess your password, break into your password uh, files, but without that two-factor token, they still can't get in. Every single cybersecurity incident I've dealt with in the last year and a half could have been thwarted if accounts had been locked down with multi factor authentication. Now, let me be clear about something. I wasn't aware how many different systems don't have multi factor authentication as an option. They don't. There's an email provider, and I'm not going to name them, who has been around for a very long time. I used to use them. They are inexpensive. Their service is usually pretty good. Their support has been reasonably good. And they do not provide multi-factor authentication for people with just email addresses. So if you have an organization who buys, you know, 5, 10, 50 accounts from this company, the main administrator account has multi-factor authentication. So it's harder to go in and change uh, some random employee's email password or set up a new account or change a credit card number that's being used for billing. But that same random employee, there's no additional protection on their account. And this email provider had no notification, no additional security. The bookkeeper of an organization lost access to their email. It was used to commit fraud, financial fraud. A large amount of money was transferred out of the organization. And they're waiting to see if they can get their money back. And they had me out to look and see how do we lock down our accounts. I said, well, you can change all your passwords, but then that's it. So unless you can guarantee that your passwords are completely unique for every employee, they haven't reused their passwords, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, there's only so much you can do. Most thieves, most criminals, unless they are intent on a specific target, and I'm talking about a specific victim, most of them are going to see additional security and move on, because there's plenty of low-hanging fruit out there, with weak security, people who just aren't paying attention. Okay. Multi-factor authentication is huge. Even if you have a horrible password, multi-factor authentication is going to be better than not. In most cases, multi-factor authentication is going to stop them in their tracks. But you got to keep something in mind. Never give the multi-factor authentication code to somebody else. That second factor, that code that you get, if you share it with somebody through text messaging, email, the phone, somebody says, I really need this code in order to help you, be absolutely sure who you're dealing with. If you're dealing with your IT person and you trust them and you know 100% that's the person you're talking to, and there's a very good reason that they have described for needing that code, This should not be a common occurrence for anybody. Then maybe you can share with that person who you trust. But in most cases, if somebody's asking for that code, they're malicious, or they're messing with you. Here's some other quick things you can do to keep yourself safe. Quit out of your web browser at least weekly, and allow it to install updates but Jeffrey, I've got a hundred tabs open. I don't care if you have 500 tabs open. I don't care if you have a thousand tabs open. Closing your web browser and reopening all of those tabs still allows the web browser to get security updates, feature updates. Your computer gets to clear out some memory. Things are going to run better. You're going to be safer, more secure, and things will run better. Most good web browsers will now allow you to save all of those open tabs and you can reopen them at any time you want. Close your darned tabs and move on. For most people, turning on automatic updates on your computer for your apps, restarting your computer monthly, if not weekly, is a really good set of advice. If you allow automatic updates. In most cases, you're not ever going to get hit with a bad update, but you are going to be secure. And again, doing what you should do to protect yourself. When is it not safe to do automatic updates? When there's a compatibility issue, when there's something else going on. Businesses really should be more careful. If you run software other than just like a word processor, email app, and web browser. If you've got specialty software, let's say CAD software, computer-aided drafting, if you're doing graphical design, movie video editing, if you're doing music, uh, like MIDI connections to other devices, if you've got something special, you need to be more careful. When the updates come out, you should read them and say, what does this do? Sometimes they'll say, if you install this update, you might break something. Or, more importantly, go to, let's say you use a video editing program like uh, Final Cut Pro. Final Cut Pro may say, if you install this other update to this thing that you use, it will break Final Cut Pro. Some plugin, maybe. So don't install the update, but figure out when and how you might do it. Security updates are what we're mostly concerned about. Those need to get installed as soon as possible, unless there's some really good reason not to do it. Most people, again, can just turn on automatic updates and you'll be okay. I'm going to stop for a moment and say, if you have legal compliance issues, if you have to deal with HIPAA for healthcare, PCI DSS for credit cards, if you have other compliance regulations that you need to follow, if you're in the the aerospace industry, If you work for government agencies, um, hopefully you've already got systems in place for this. Okay, moving on. Be aware of where you save your information and know that it's protected with a good backup. Do you actually know where you're saving your files? Do you know that they're actually being backed up? Do you know how to get those files back? Do you have to have an internet connection to get those back? Do you have to have a password to get them back? If your computer dies, can you get everything back? Or is the password you need to retrieve things from backup stored on the computer that just died? Yeah. Be careful. We're going to talk about these things. We did previously in other episodes. We're going to come back and we're going to talk through these things. Also, there's going to be some webinars and classes coming up. I'm going to talk through these things in detail if you want that. Don't trust websites and apps to be available with your information forever. Do you store your tax information only with, say, TurboTax? Is your accounting only with QuickBooks Online? Is your medical information only at your doctor's office? Are your passwords only on one of your computers in some document? Okay. If that works for you, great. What happens if TurboTax gets uh, sued by the government, which is possible, and they say you've only got 30 days to download your tax information? Maybe save a PDF of your taxes somewhere and know where that goes. Uh, your accounting information, you use uh, some sort of online. I'm not going to pick on into it a whole lot. Maybe I will later. Is your personal finance, your business finance, is that information stored somewhere other than at your bank or in your financial software? Do you have a way to get that if you need it? Look into it. Do you store your passwords on your computer or in an app? Do you know what's going to happen if your computer is stolen or lost or breaks down? Um, In a previous episode, I suggested go out to your car Sit there without your computer, without your phone, just a piece of paper and a pen, and see if you can remember how to log into your password manager, if you know how to log into your bank, if you can log into your email account. If you can't without your computer, and there's no place to get it except to go back to your computer or your phone, I would recommend thinking through having some sort of safe, paper, or physical backup somewhere. Again, we'll talk about some processes and ways to do this safely. I'm not recommending having a bunch of post-it notes and an envelope underneath your desk. (laughs) I'm not. Okay, so those are a bunch of things we should do if we're in a cybersecurity incident or just, you know, life There are data breaches happening all the time. I would say daily. I listen to this podcast called The Internet Storm Center on a daily basis. Well, Monday through Friday. He's off on weekends and holidays. And there's usually some data breach, some problem going on. Actually, he doesn't uh, he doesn't talk about the data breaches that much. There are data breaches almost every day, sometimes several a day. There probably are several a day, even if we don't hear about them every day. Recently, the states of Oregon and Louisiana announced that almost every driver's license and state ID in those states was stolen, or at least breached. That data that was breached includes name. Residence address, height, weight, eye color, ID number, date of birth, sometimes social security numbers, and more. Wow. And also, eh, okay, most of that information's already out there, but tying it all together in one place, in one data breach, that's a lot. What do you do? What do you do with this kind of information? When Oregon and Louisiana send out all their emails and letters saying, hey, we're so sorry, you know, security is very important to us. (laughs) Everyone breached says security is very important to us, and hopefully that's not a lie. But you were just, just breached, and hopefully you were doing the right thing. If they are on the up and up and say, listen, this is what happened, what do you do? Do you just follow their advice? No here's what you do. First of all, go to the credit reporting agencies. There are three of them in the United States. If you're outside of the United States, you got a different process. Our world of finances is hell. (laughs) and I'm so sorry you don't get to join us in that hell. I'm kidding. Um, You're lucky. So the credit reporting agencies in the United States, you want to freeze your credit. Unless you're just about to open a loan, buy a new house, get a car, etc., freeze your credit that means that it's much more difficult for somebody to open an open an account in your name you should make sure that your kids your spouse your partner your friends your family all of them credit reports should be or credit accounts should be frozen so that no new accounts can be created check your credit reports regularly you can check each of the, the 3 reports for free at annualcreditreport.com once a year, choose one, check it, wait a few months, check the other one. You can also pay to see them more often. Or if you've been in an incident like this, you can go to them and say, hey, I was in an incident. I want to check my credit report. And there are usually ways to get into those for free. There are also subscription services, some that are actually just subscriptions that are free, some that are paid with the credit reporting agencies, where they will let you know if something's happening on your account. Check your credit reports. Check your bank accounts. If you don't regularly look at your bank statements, if you don't go online and look, if you don't reconcile your accounts like we used to do when it was only on paper, go look at them. If anything looks weird, if there's any... Patterns of odd purchases, if there's any weird purchases at all, check in on them. If you set up any online accounts with security questions and answers, you know those, hey, uh, what was the name of your third grade teacher? If you answer with real answers, go update those, especially if the answers are in these data breaches hey, my, you know, date of birth is in there, or uh, what if there's a website that includes the name of your high school? You want to not have the name of your high school as the answer to where did you go to high school? Those are horrible security questions anyway. What I highly recommend is if you're forced to answer security questions, which sometimes you still do. Like I just installed, uh, reinstalled Windows 10 for a client. And installing Windows 10, I had to set up a first account on that computer. And it said, you know, what do you want your security questions and answers to be? You know what? I use fake answers because they don't have to be real. They just have to be used appropriately if you need the answers. So who was your third grade teacher? Squirrel Nut Fern Tree 5. That's a good answer. No one's going to guess that. Okay. If you use that one now, someone's going to guess it. But if you use fake answers to security questions, you're going to be much better off. And you're not going to have to go back and fix them if the data is breached. Do not accept identity or credit reporting agent. Uh, sorry, credit. Re, uh, what am I saying? Do not accept identity or credit monitoring services except through an organization which, with which you already have a relationship the credit reporting agencies already collect so much information from you. If you want to pay somebody or use somebody to monitor your credit and your identity, use those organizations that already know everything about you. Why are you going to take a free offer to give some other third party all of that information to track? You can't go and say, "Uh, I want you to tell me if My date of birth and uh, addresses have been breached, or um, in a breach, without telling that person which addresses and date of birth are related to you. When they see yours, they're going to go, "Oh, that's that's Jeffrey's," and they're going to tell me. So go to a third party. You know, every time I get a breach notification, there's usually some offer for identity monitoring. I'm not going to go and give them more information to monitor. No, it's just more databases with my information that can be breached in the future. Okay. I hope this episode, um, this, is, this is the idea. We're going to go through a bunch of stuff to keep you safe, secure, make sure you're handling privacy to the level that you want to. I'm no longer going to say, you know, the best thing is to do X. The best thing might happen, like, you know, multi-factor authentication. Yeah, that is the best thing you could do. But do you need to have it on every single account? I can't answer that for you. I recommend having it on every single account, if at all possible. But you know, I have some accounts that I truly don't care about. It'd still be better to turn it on. I would probably turn it on. But do you need it? I say it's better than not. But maybe you don't need it. So move on. Don't use multi factor authentication on that one website or that one app. Maybe it just doesn't matter. I'm not going to preach to you and say you need it on everything. I'm just going to say, you know, if it was me, I would put it on everything. It's just a little bit better. But the point is, my new line to you is do what's appropriate for your risk, for your safety keep you, your friends, your family, your employer, your vendors, and your clients all safe together. We're all on the same path. We want to live and do good things, right? So let's go do that. I'll see you with episode two coming up soon. Thanks for listening.